I think time zones should go down to the minute. So Jim would be a little later than you, Rick, and then I would be yeah. a little Well, that's earlier. that's the way it used to be in the old days. Like, it was based on sunset, and then they had a horrible time getting people onto trains. I think it was Planet Money had a great thing about the history of time zones and how it was like a lunatic idea that this college professor, actually, I believe, came up with, and everyone was like, no, you can't do that. And then all of a sudden, once the train railroads came through and the railroad people heard it, they were like, yes, we got to do time zones. Now the new crazy radical idea, which I've probably talked about, is um, you stop having local time. You just go by a universal clock. So you use UTC so that you can schedule your meeting with people in India and know that you don't have to do all this math and daylight savings. You know, oh, I'm sorry, I showed up an hour late. Oh, I thought it was, I'm an hour late? I thought it was at six. It is six. What? No, it's, it's the, five. The astronomers are yeah. way ahead of the game. That's exactly. Cool. For my amateur astronomy, everything is listed in UTC. And if you think about computers and financial markets and everything like that, they all convert the time, but it's all running, you know, universal time. It's basically Greenwich Mean Time. It's like universal time coordinated, I think. So so for us, 5 p.m. would change. It would be a di- at a be like midnight. Time of the day. It might <laughs> right. not be dinner time. 11. It'd be 11, for us. 11 p.m., right? What time is it in England right now? It's like 11 p.m. 6 yeah, or 12. 12, yeah, 12. it might be midnight. Yeah, yeah, you just have to get everybody to agree. That was always the thing with astronomy, like trying to figure out what time of year it was when things, they'd always list events, and it depends on daylight savings time. Either it's five hours, subtract five hours, or subtract six hours for our, for Central. Oh, I accidentally answered the uh, the call I get every day at 6 p.m. telling me that Graham missed a class. <laughs> I get that email, I just delete it now. I'd love it if it was an email. I could just send it to a send it directly to the, the trash instead of getting. What's really amazing is that it's in English and Spanish, and so Google does a transcript of it, and so it switches from English to Spanish halfway through. But Google doesn't realize that, and so the transcript of the message always winds up sounding like some kind of disgusting sexual pop song. Let me read to you how this message from the uh, high school goes south very quickly. Yeah, 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 here it is. So if you feel this message in error, blah, 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 leave your name and your student's name and a telephone number where you can be reached. Thank you. I want to suck, suck, suck. Okay, can see the massage on ever really ugly, can't check. And then we do have a lot of tables for the number was the last name for for which one month. Wow. So that's, that's just a bad Google translative that made a lot of sense to me. I mean, <laughs> exactly. You got to find somebody to sing that, you know, become a producer. Just you'll it'll be a massive hit. <laughs> exactly. It's You got to suck 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 find some tables in the back. <laughs> Welcome to Lost and Found and Rewound where we sadly finally caught up with ourselves. I'm Chris Lost. I'm Found Jim and I'm Rick Rewound. This will be our first fast-forward episode where the film review for our next episode will happen in the future as opposed to in the past. (laughs) It will also be a pizza-free review with all of us still in isolation, though I'm seriously considering proposing that we all get together in Western Springs for our next review because this just feels kind of weird to do it this way. I did make a Jack's Pizza today. For my son, Jack's Pizza, if you want to make pizza for a child who doesn't care about quality. 
And you want to test your smoke alarms. Smoke alarms. I, I had to. So I put a smoke alarm in our kitchen. We've never had a smoke alarm in the kitchen. I have all the smoke alarms now are synchronized. And so every time I cook a vegan bratwurst or somebody cooks a pizza, it goes off and like people will be asleep or they'll be in the zone. And then all of a sudden it'll just start every alarm in the house will go off and start yelling, there's a fire in the kitchen. And so I had to take it down. I finally just left it in the uh, entryway. The alarms say that? Yeah, they talk. Cool. What do they say? They say, suck, suck, suck. There's a fire in the kitchen. (laughs) Get under the table. (laughs) Hey, Jim, I I was showing Rick this. I want to show you. I created a timeline of the show. Wow. Since we're all caught up now. Mm -hmm. And it's completely normal. Normal behavior. (laughs) Don't worry. Wow. We have to do the obligatory podcast joke that visual aids are a great thing for a podcast. Everybody says that. But if you could see this audience, you would see, I'd call it a work of art. I don't know what you guys would call it. No, yeah, I call it that classic moment where the uh, detective or the mentally ill person, you know, you walk into the hotel room, motel room and the wall, and then the people who know that person just kind of nod their heads and look at each yeah, other. Yeah, you need more string, like little <laughs> push pins with string connecting things. I had lines, but it got so busy, I just figured you could assume from the titles and the icons which were the record episodes, which were the release dates, rewinds versus fast forwards. My question is, Is why is Ted Bundy on there? <laughs> there's, no, there's no Ted Bundy on here. Like all those pictures of Ted Bundy and then a little Jeffrey Dahmer in the corner. That's that's where I get confused, Chris. That's why this diagram that's supposed to represent our podcast also has pictures of serial killers on it. That's not what I see when I look at these pictures. I see... Right. Misunderstood know. men. Yes, I understand that, Chris, but... No. Still. I see a recorded history of our friendship. I, I don't know what you're, you're looking at. Tell it to the judge. <laughs> it looks like a Fuji lens uh, roadmap, you know, for my oh, yeah, Fuji yeah. X, I, my Fuji yeah. X series camera. They always have, they publish these roadmaps of what they're going to release, and it looks exactly like that, except they're little pictures of little lenses. What's great is when the, the manufacturer stops publishing the roadmap, and then you realize, oh, I've bought into a system that they've now decided <laughs> to let die, and now I've got a hunk of... Hunk of digital equipment that I can't use. Does the roadmap go into like a, a detour or something? It's or just, just like a cone, road cone. <laughs> exactly. So, sorry, no more cameras. It's like, boy, I haven't seen a roadmap for a couple of years. What? Oh, okay. <laughs> we should say that as part of a, this show's canon, we appeared on Taco the Town. Mm-hmm. We did a Kansas City Taco podcast where two of us were in the state of Illinois. And one of us decided to talk about serial killers for most of the show. And I'm not going to point out which one it is. I'm not going to point fingers because it would be very difficult to point fingers at myself. But you can use your thumbs, Chris. (laughs) Who's got two thumbs and loves to talk about Ted Bundy? This guy. But anyway, I would if you like this show, I would encourage you to listen to that show because you know, I think it's part of the LFR canon. And because I edited it, <laughs> I sort yeah. of had my way with our appearance on the show. So it sounds a lot more like one of these shows than it does a Taco of the Town. 
And I, I definitely actually lost it during the episode because of the detours. And it was, I think it was obvious that Dave is a little more organized and wants to keep on topic and wants to stay focused with the podcast and do the, the bits. And, and we obviously are an anarchic element that really threw things off. And for some reason, I find that funny. I, I start laughing even more when, when things get out of hand. Of course, if it was me controlling it, I'd be very upset. But when it happens to someone else... I find it funny. Well, he's more Saturday Night Live. We're more UCB, right? We're, <laughs> we're more the improv. You know, it's funny. Tim Bat mentioned appearing on this show, on his show. Guy had asked him, his co-host asked him if he enjoyed it. He said he enjoyed it, but I think he said he's like, it's hard when you're not controlling the show, you know, when you're not controlling the narrative of the show. So he may have experienced a little bit of what Dave experienced having us on Taco the Town. I'm, I'm not sure we'll be invited back. <laughs> People said it was funny. Dave thought it was funny. So. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, I'm sure. I'm sure it seems funny in retrospect. Right, yeah, I don't think it was so fun in the moment. You know, I will say, Rick, you went through a whole arc on that show. You started out very hangry, and then <laughs> you ate and got, you know, more jovial. Then there was a lot of funny stuff, and then you gave Dave a car at the end. It was a real sweet kind of... <laughs> transformation you really changed throughout the course of that episode i think jim can attest that interactions with me are highly dynamic (laughs) you go through every emotion most likely food based yeah yeah and also food based that's true what's interesting is that i i have stopped eating so much and so i feel like i'm not a total lunatic but my family may beg to differ we'll see we'll see what the review is i'm starting to feel like you know, I always felt like I was a good father. This sounds like the execution or something, the last words. You're in handcuffs. I I always felt I was a good father. Okay, <laughs> throw the switch. <laughs> oh, that reminds me, Ted Bundy was electrocuted, I believe. He was electrocuted. It was not injection. Yeah, I checked that. Yeah, me too. You were right. <laughs> Sorry, Chris, I inter- interrupted you. <laughs> touching, touching... No, I think you're making my point for me. I, now I'm starting to think that as history will have it, I'm, I wasn't wasn't a good father. Mm. <laughs> so, I mean, I thought I was doing all the right things, but now I'm pretty sure I, I didn't do anything right. But we'll, we'll we'll see, we'll see. Oh yeah, no, you're just in a difficult time. I think it's just a difficult time. It is. You got to wait till they're 25. That's when the real judgment yeah. comes in. The therapist you're not paying is is involved. Yeah. When they hire their own therapist. Yeah. Okay, good. I know that I should have had a therapist at my children's age, but they didn't have therapy back when I was a child. It'd be great to have a therapist, but I, my problem is, is I know more than they do. So Yeah. What are they going to tell you? You've already worked on yourself. Congratulations. You did a great job. <laughs> I think you're a good father, Rick, if that's what you're asking. <laughs> We do have to time box these episodes. So like our like we learned from Taco the Town, I'm going to run us through our segments here. And the first uh, I'd like to run us through is is hot seat. I came up with a hot seat question <laughs> for us today. And by by our segments, you mean your segments. Well, they're ours. Right? They're on our show. We've had right. this is hot seat's a you know very popular segment. You know, I, I will say I so what I what's strange about hot seat is is it never seems like we rotate and like someone else has a hot seat question. It seems more like Chris asks Rick or Jim a question <laughs> that makes them uncomfortable. I, I I'm gonna ask myself this question today. Oh, whoa, gonna, so, okay. So but I will look, I was listening, we had a guest on this show 
someone that I have a tremendous amount of love and reverence for, uh, uh, awesome person. This person, I've been listening to them on on their podcast. Thank you. Thank and they they've been giving me a lot of sh- no, it's not you, Rick. They've been <laughs> oh, giving me a lot of sorry. shade, flipping me a lot of shade about this hot seat segment. And I just want to say, you know, this person it calls me out by name, my full name, by the way. <laughs> gives me shit about Chris hot lost. seat, and then yeah, Chris lost, and then proceeds to do a hot or not segment on their show, and then a lot of dick talk. So I'm just saying hot seat's pretty innocuous compared to this hot or not and then followed by, you know, a lot of dick talk on the show. That's all I'm saying. Anyway, here's hot seat. I think actually I I think I know why that guest was upset about hot seat, but I did cut that portion of hot seat out of their show. So I don't I, I think it's it was unfair. Boy, did I, I did I say something? On hot seat? You did not. No. Oh, okay. No. All right. <laughs> yeah. All right. Here's our hot seat question. I was listening to Tom Sharpling interview Kim Gordon this morning, and the high point of the discussion was them talking about sex in the city. Inevitably, the question of which gal are you was discussed, which made me want to ask my co-hosts, are you a Jack, a Janet, or a Christmas snow? Rick. That's Three's Company? Yeah, well, I couldn't use the four girls on Sex and the City. There's only three of us. I had no oh. idea. Good for you, Rick, figuring oh. that out. Chrissy Snow, right? Christmas Snow. Christmas really? Was the first. Wow. wow. <laughs> What's Joyce DeWitt's name in the show? Janet. Janet. I'll be Janet. I guess I'm Don Knotts. What was Don Knotts' <laughs> character? Mr. Furley. Is that right? I thought Christmas Snow for you, Jim... This is why. One, you're attractive. Two, you're a blonde. And three, um, they... You're going to be fired from the show because you don't get along with the rest of the cast. (laughs) (laughs) Well, no, because I think the best, you know, they they sort of played her as a dumb blonde, but I think uh, she would actually have some poignant moments on the show, and that's when I actually liked, like when it turned out that Chrissy was actually the most philosophically sound of the crew. Mm -hmm. I thought those were my favorite moments. (laughs) <laughs> the show, but you're you're going That's, with um, Mr. Roper? No, Mr. No, Furley. No. Oh, who I'm That's looking up. Uh, Norman Fell. He's in Catch Twenty Two, right? That's he's great in Catch Twenty Two. Everybody's in. He's in. He's the um, landlord in The Graduate. So when Richard Dreyf- Dreyfus oh, yeah. peers around the corner and says, "Should I call the cops?" I think Norman Fell's already is the one talking to him. <laughs> he's in Bullet. Apparently, I just watched Bullet and already <laughs> forgot that Norman Fell. Norman Fell died in 1998. Yeah. You can always tell. I did a search for Three's Company, and they're all the photos of people in the cast, and Norman Fell's photo is in black and white. <laughs> you mean that means they're dead if they put you in black and white? <laughs> it's, just, it's just like that's, that's the photo that Google is using. It's using a, a black and white headshot. Yeah, yeah. That was a, a long time ago. Yeah. <laughs> I guess I'll say I, Larry. I think I would be a Larry. Do you guys remember Larry from the Regal Beagle? They'd go to the Regal Beagle and hang out with Larry. <laughs> Honestly, it's possible I never watched a full episode. My, my, it's possible my full knowledge of Three's Company is based on, up next on Three's Company, Jack does something in the ocean. Yeah, I definitely have a blind spot, Three's Company blind spot. Wow. 
my mom signed me up for summer school band and I kept missing it because they had back-to-back threes companies right <laughs> at the time that there was band. So I always made the decision to wow. to watch threes company. <laughs> All right, well, we'll go into the next segment. Within your reach, Jim, what awesome thing is within your reach? That's really easy. It's what's holding up my uh, ancient uh, webcam. It's a NOS, I think is the term. New old stock. <laughs> Oh, man. It's an unopened wow. can of, you know, steel can of tennis balls from the early 80s. You look at that. It's got the metal. It's amazing. Remember Coke cans used to be? Like, look at that. Yeah. Wow. Never opened it, huh? Look at this. Here. Is he going to open it? Oh, wow. Yeah. Un- still vacuum packed. With yep. the price tag from True Value? Where's the I, price I tag so. from? Yeah, is that... Wasn't, you know... Or I found hardware? it several years ago in the garage and... Never opened it. <laughs> That's amazing. Well, it's definitely from the eight, yeah, early eighties because they went plastic. Remember, they all they yeah. became plastic, and but this is steel. You can use it for you know, <laughs> I can I can use magnets and like put put you know little notes on like like a little bulletin board. But it's good. It's perfect for holding up my camcorder. My camcorder. What is this called? <laughs> Web webcam. <laughs> I'm just waiting for the the special moment. It's like a a, a bottle of champagne. You know, just that special moment to open this and that smell, yeah. that fresh smell. tennis ball, 1980s <laughs> tennis ball smell. smell. Yeah. Can I describe that special moment? So you look out your bedroom window, and on your lawn is Peng Su with a tennis racket. <laughs> <laughs> right. That'd be, yeah, it'd be magical. Beckoning you. <laughs> <laughs> and then you go down, you open up the can, and then... We find you dead the next morning. <laughs> <laughs> what happened? Peng Su will have to end up on my timeline pictures. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, let's go through what you guys have consumed media-wise, and if there was a revelation, you could share that. So, Rick, why don't you go first? I watched both Mortal Kombat movies. I know apparently other people will say there's more than two Mortal Kombat movies, but there are only two that I could even be convinced to watch. Uh, what was it, 1995? Jim and I watched that film together oh, yeah. on tour yeah. with Christopher Lambert, right? Lambert? I guess yeah. it depends on if you're an American or a French. From Highlander. He's Belgian, though, right? Yeah, from Highlander. I thought it was great. <laughs> as as funny as and ridiculous as I remember it, whatever that was, 25 years ago, 30 years ago. <laughs> and then sat with my family as they watched two hours of blood and gore, people being sliced open, frozen, and then sliced open, just like mayhem. The new one was just... It's like a snuff film. You don't like remakes, so you're biased <laughs> against remakes, so... That's what the problem was, right? And I, I don't like remakes that have the kind of like super slow motion arcs of blood, not in a kind of classy orange blood. What was this remake? Was it The Sound of Music? I didn't catch. <laughs> yeah, it did not have the wild bunch blood. You know, it had the, the new blood, digital blood or whatever. But yeah, just lots of, lots of mayhem. People being hacked up all over the place. Did not enjoy it. Seance on a wet afternoon. Oh, yeah. This was, yeah. Yeah, this was something it's been that a long used to time show since up. I saw that. I was, <laughs> I wanted to watch it again. I mean, it's years, yeah. and I was like, oh, yeah, I, I think I was it. not in a good mood or something, and so I thought, oh, I'll just push myself deeper into the darkness. 1964 film with Richard Attenborough and Kim Stanley, directed by Brian Forbes, who directed the uh, 
Stepford Wives about a woman who's a psychic, but she's not really psychic, and she's kind of scamming people with this fake psychic stuff, and her husband's part of it. Richard Attenborough plays this very meek man, and then she convinces her husband to kidnap a little girl. And they keep this little girl in their house, and she talks to the police, gives them clues about what's happened. They keep her kind of drugged up, but they'll grill her, and then she she goes to the police and to the family to uh, look like she you know, has true psychic powers. It's probably not a spoiler. No, it's not a spoiler. I'll just say it ends badly, but you don't know how, how it ends badly. I didn't remember. I, I had, you know, I'd watched it before, but I couldn't remember... You could tell it was going to end badly, but there's so many different ways it could end badly. <laughs> oh man! <laughs> and, and it's, uh, it's like uh, and it's those movie. It's like a uh, Bunny Lake is missing. It's like black and white, dark yeah. '60s movies with kids, like weird, creepy kids movies. Well, they're not kids movies. They're just involving kids. Yeah, it's like definitely like tapping into that. Like, don't look now or don't look back. Yeah, that's kind of like I would say like a a tail end of that. Yeah. And don't look back, yeah, or don't look now. Don't right? look You're now. talking about the with Donald. Don't look back is the I think the Dylan film, right? Don't look now is yeah. the one with the red, the little red uh, Riding Hood, yeah, type child. And then look back in anger. Also, uh, the, you know, this, I feel like we need to talk about this movie, but I don't know if you guys seen it. But another round, I watched that. Yep, I watched it. <laughs> what do you think, Rick? It's about <laughs> about teachers. Who, it's uh, about teachers. to get better at teaching. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's a Thomas Vintenberg film, the former Dogma 95 guy. One of them. The other one. There are two of them. He's the less problematic one. Is that? Am I right? Or am I just forgetting that he's problematic? Your guess is as good as mine. I don't know yeah. much about him. But yeah, I, I, like, I, I thought it was good. I thought it was, it was pretty... It was a man movie. I was challenged on my at the end where, again, I didn't like the ending, but then I was told that that's because I'm an American and I'm judgmental. <laughs> By reading a review, I was told that that's why I didn't like the ending. What did you think of the ending, Chris? I give the film a C overall. <laughs> I was not overly impressed with it. I don't know why, but look, one time I worked at a, a dot-com company. They didn't pay us a lot, but they gave us psychological benefits, which is like free candy. And then also you could drink beer during the day. And I had a <laughs> beer or two one Friday just to see what that was like. And it sucked. I mean, when I get drunk, I want to be alone in my basement watching Harry, <laughs> watching Harry Styles videos. I don't want to be at work, talking to yeah. adolescents. Um, <laughs> so I just didn't get it. I didn't believe it. I didn't think these guys could get better. I don't know. It was, it was just weird. The whole thing was kind of weird. I felt like something a lot more sinister was going to happen, and it, it didn't. Again, I have, a, I have this weird thing with all these European films where I feel like they're borrowing from the vibe of martyrs, and I just think uh, I was sort of leaning towards serial killers. <laughs> I think... I think I don't know why, but um, I just watched this movie called Angst. And again, it, Angst and Another Round felt very similar in vibe, but very different films. Angst is about a serial killer, sociopath, and um, was uh, the inspiration for, oh, Gaspar No. But anyway, Another Round was supposed to be a farce. I don't know what it was supposed to be, but I just didn't see how 
booze and uh, job success equated. I mean, I must not have gotten it because I felt I felt like that's a pretty dangerous thing to float. Yeah, yeah, no, it does. It seems seems problematic. Yeah. So, Jim, yeah, the idea is is these like they some researcher says that that the normal blood alcohol level is 0.05. and so you you should be buzzed all the time, right? And so these these depressed middle aged men who teach at a high school decide they make a pact and they decide to start drinking just during the day and not on weekends and they stop after eight and their lives improve for a while. Um, It's like the middle, well, medieval times, you know, if the water gets bad, well, that's what we'll have to, you know, you have to drink like low alcohol beer all day. Mead. That's what, yeah, well, not even mead, just, yeah, it was like, that's why... Everybody drank beer because you die yeah. if you drink water. So right, right, and they don't talk about Benjamin Franklin, for instance, but they talk about Winston Churchill and Ernest Hemingway and who, who else do they kind of hold up as yeah. you know? And and basically, someone who's a vegetarian teetotaler—that's Hitler, right? <laughs> Which upset that's me an a interesting bit. point they made there, Rick. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's just like great. Wow, wow. Try to be even more reductionist. Your food and alcohol choices would determine whether or not you were, you know, one of the biggest mass murderers in human history, right? It's like, oh, yeah, that's got to be related to what he ate. Yeah, he must have been hangry, right? Complete denial of human nature and the ability of regular people to be led down the primrose path and become whole society, become mass murderers or participate in mass murder. But let's not talk about that. Let's blame it on vegetarianism. If only Hitler had, if he had a barbecue and just had a some barbecue. steaks on the weekend, everything would Had a be beer? Cool. Just a beer and some yeah. steaks? Okay, now we're starting to get... <laughs> no, you know, we did talk about baby Hitler on Taco the Town. We got into that. But the question we didn't ask is if Hitler got on Taco the Town, would he have given Dave a taco car at the end of the show? To me, that doesn't seem seem like something he would do. I'd say no. I don't. I don't want to. I don't want to equate those two events. I don't. I think Hitler would keep the, if he had a taco car, he'd keep it for himself. Mm-hmm. I don't think he'd be generous with it. To be fair, that taco car cost a dollar. It was a very sweet gesture, regardless of how much it cost. Dave, it kind of blew Dave away. To be honest, <laughs> that's me. I I realize that there are simple things I could do, and I could probably be a much more much more likable person if I just do simple things like you know give people little tiny gifts once in a while, <laughs> give them a thumbs up on Facebook, right? You know, it's just like little tiny things could probably catapult me into much a much higher level of social popularity. Are you looking to do that, Rick? Is that something you think about a lot? Is how can you become more popular? How can I become more popular? <laughs> no, I don't. That's that. I think that's probably a part of the problem too. So, yeah, is not, that why you're okay with being on a podcast where we don't advertise it and don't say our real names? <laughs> exactly. Kansas City. Food-wise, a city famous for its barbecue. But that's 
about to change. My name is W. Dave Keith, host of the podcast Taco the Town, and I believe that Kansas City is one of the most underrated, underappreciated, up-and-coming taco towns in the USA. On Taco the Town, we will shine a light on all the amazing tacos Kansas City has to offer. Kansas City is a great taco town filled with a variety of untapped taco stylings and flavors, and on the Taco the Town podcast, we won't stop until we've tasted every taco in the town. No taco table will go unturned. Each episode, we review a new taco joint with a special guest. We share taco memories, discuss taco topics, and put tacos to the test. We check the latest stories in taco news, and no taco is off the table on Taco the Town. If you love tacos, like I do, you're going to love Taco the Town. Available on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, and Google Play. That's Taco the Town. Have we exhausted your media highlights, or do you have anything else for us, Rick? You said three, boss. Well, so we did. We did. Three I didn't was want to upset you. That was a test. That wasn't a question. That was a test. <laughs> <laughs> I've been watching Brock. My- I watched Brockmeyer all four seasons, which is a show that I did not think I would like. And initially, I it was a little too. You're the worst. Was that what it was? The English guy and the woman in Los Angeles. It it felt a little bit like that show where these are awful people. They talk about stuff that I. You know, it's it's kind of funny, but after a while, it's just kind of repetitive and Seinfeld offensive to be offensive. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know what I mean, like premium cable offensive as opposed to primetime network TV offensive. I see. You know, sometimes they're offensive just to be offensive, I think. Sometimes I think they're just offensive to be offensive. I don't think so. <laughs> I, think, I think you're stretching it. It was worth it because the fourth season takes place in the future, so it's about a, an alcoholic baseball announcer who kind of flames out, becomes a social media pariah, right? Or a meme almost, right? Disappears for 10 years in an alcoholic haze and comes back to America and realizes that he's kind of a meme. But then it's about his, his life as he kind of comes back. And so the first three seasons, it actually is kind of positive. Like lots of bad stuff happens and he's... A, a terrible alcoholic and drug, drug drug addicted person, but things get better. And then, then the last season they jump into the future and it all of a sudden becomes this weird kind of critique of the near future. It's like a weird science fiction show about a baseball announcer. <laughs> and the reason why I watched it was because he was on, see, now I'm just going to sound like a white liberal jerk, but like I, I heard, I heard him on fresh air. And Terry Gross said she liked the show. And so I thought, okay, I'll watch it. Oh, I'll cut that out. I'll cut all that yeah. out. It's embarrassing. <laughs> it's like I'm a walking stereotype. Next thing you're going to tell us is you heard that in your Tesla. <laughs> I hate myself. That was a low blow. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take that one back. I'm going to take that back. <laughs> Can't take it back. That wasn't fair. Can't punch me harder than I punch myself, though. <laughs> That's always been my defense mechanism. <laughs> when the bullies come for you, just run into a wall, run your face into a wall. There's that, yeah, there is the great running into the, the door jam moment in that, that movie in another. Oh, round. wow, yeah. I, re- yeah, I really that liked that moment. Scene. I like that scene. <laughs> 
I think you'd like the movie, Jim, or you should watch it at least. It's Dutch. Sure. It's a Dutch movie. It's, sure. it's a, I mean, Leonardo DiCaprio's going to remake it, so you better watch it before <laughs> that happens. Before it gets good. Yeah. Before they put before some attractive becomes, people in it for a change. Yeah, insomnia, too. I still am angry about the American version of insomnia. <laughs> and then that reminds me of the American version of, uh, what's the one with uh, the guy who kid, kidnaps the woman? That frustrates the hell out of me. God, Kiefer Sutherland was in the uh, remake, and um, Sandy, was oh, she in it? I thought it was... Uh, Jeff Bridges. What's the one with Jeff, Bridge, Jeff, Jeff Bridges? Jeff Bridges is the there bad is one guy. With... Kiefer Sutherland oh, okay. is the Kiefer boyfriend, the... I think. Oh, okay. That's right. And isn't Sandy... Um, Duncan uh, Bullock. Sandy Bullock. Isn't, she, isn't, she, isn't Sandy Duncan the girlfriend? You know what's funny is in Brockmire, he mentions Sandy Duncan a couple of times. <laughs> Who wouldn't? Like it's some kind of rock bottom moment that he brings up at least twice that involves Sandy Duncan. We just brought her up. And... and <laughs> Exactly, it's amazing. Jim, Jim I what, cheated. What were your media highlights? Um, Let Rick get that cheat in. The cranes are flying. I finally watched that, which is the movie by the more famous movie by the guy I was talking about, the f- Russian movie with uh, all the infrared film. Letter never sent. That was the movie I was talking about a few months, whatever, two years ago, <laughs> a year ago. But anyways, this is his more famous movie, which I had never seen. It, it, it was went to Cannes and stuff. It was like. 1958, or I think it won the Palme d'Or or whatever. It was a big deal. It's very romantic and great. You know, it's not too sappy, but it's like a war movie. But it's not about the war. It's all the people waiting for the people to come back f- from the war, World War II. It's the same star, same woman as in uh, both movies, but she's great. There, there's there's no infrared film in this one, I don't think, like like Letter Never Sent, but there's the, it's the same cinematographer, He's well-known in cinematography circles. He's like a legend. The cranes are flying. There's like a uh, this great shot, single shot of her like on a bus. She's trying to catch up, find her boyfriend who's enlisted and is going off to the front. And she's trying to, she missed seeing him one last time. So she's on the bus and she goes to where they're all leaving. And it's all this, it's like about f- maybe four minutes long, but it's all this single handheld shot. She just runs around and through the crowd and then runs through these tanks at the end of the camera, he, oh. he, he's on the bus with her, and then it's, I think it's all 35 millimeter, like handheld, like a big 35 millimeter camera, and, and she disappears for a second, but it's her, and she comes running back in the frame, and it's, it's her, and then she goes running out into the street, and all these tanks are just roaring, but she just runs in front of the tanks, and then at the same time, he obviously gets, sits, the cameraman sits on a crane, and it goes into a crane shot above, you know, she's running across the street, and it's like all this amazing timing. Tanks aren't moving that fast, but it's all dusty, and it's like, they obviously knew she was coming. You know, it's like, oh, okay, well, she's going to run, and there's no way they could have timed it. They had a lot of tanks running. You know, it's like this long shot, and then it's, okay, there's a space. I'll run through here, and she runs in between, and then she stands in the middle of the street, two lanes of tr- tanks running by her. She just goes right in front of them, and something went wrong. She just would have been squashed. <laughs> it's just the most amazing. That, that makes it the movie. There's a couple other scenes that are incredible, too. It's all... It's like the other other movie is Letter Never Sent. It's all about the cinematography. It's just gorgeous. That scene you're describing, I, I feel like I saw that in a cinematography documentary. I'm sure, yeah. It's like, yeah, what's his name? I wrote I him down, his name down. He's Sergei Irusevsky. He's like a legend. So that was great to finally see that. Oh, I saw Zazie Dans le Metro, Louis Mal movie. I looked, watched because Richard uh, 
Iowate. <laughs> it was oh. like a those those Richard the uh, you know Criterion Collection little things there on their YouTube channel where it's like when they have people visiting or they do like some kind of f- special bonus material when they have a famous person in they they let them take free stuff from the closet you know their DVDs so they they always have you oh, know, yeah. these little videos of directors picking out their favorite movies from the Criterion Collection to take home and so the Richard Ayoade one is. Him just mentioning, oh, I watched this movie like once a month, and it was Zazie Donnelly Metro, and it's like a 1960 Louis Mal movie. And I have to say, I don't totally understand it, but it was amazing. <laughs> you know, it was beautiful, and it's like based on this really beloved French novel, which has, as far as I can tell, is like lots of wordplay and puns. And so Louis Mal made it into a movie, tried to do it's all visual puns, so it's all. There's lots of slapstick and there's obvious jokes, you know, I can get, but there's obviously references. I have no idea what they are. They're all, instead of doing literary puns, he's doing visual puns, you know, for a movie. It's, yeah, it's a gorgeous color movie. It takes place in Paris and that was really cool. Like I said, most of it, you know, over my head. Oh, I watched The Desert of Forbidden Art, which is a documentary about this crazy little art museum in Uzbekistan. This guy started collecting in, it was the part of the Soviet Union, post-war kind of Stalin, Russia. This guy started collecting modern art, which was, it was like the Nazis, you know, degenerate art. It was banned and Stalinist Russia, you know, it was degenerate art, you know, it was not any kind of modern art was was not accepted. So he started secretly kind of collecting, most of it's unknown, it's like unknown artists, it's stuff from the early 20th century, and he just started collecting all this art that was being basically confiscated or just thrown away because it was deemed unhealthy or, you know, degenerate. So he started this art museum in the middle of Uzbekistan, which was in the middle of nowhere. He basically went around and to Moscow and in cities, and he just would kind of befriend people and just pay them. He tried to get the money, but he was like basically just collecting everything he could find. And he's amassed this this huge collection of 20th century modern art that is most of it is really amazing. And it, it's the museum's still there. This is I don't know when he died, but it was he did this mostly in the you know 50s I think and 60s and. 70s. It was a really interesting documentary and just completely unknown. But it's it's the tourist attraction of this city. It's basically made the city now. You know, it's like people go there now. It's really in the middle of nowhere. And it's definitely in danger of just being completely wiped out. It's amazing that it's there still. And, and it's barely holding on, kind of, or forget about terrorist kind of stuff or anything like that, or war. It's just stuff needs to be conserved. And it's not ideal and it's not a wealthy museum they, they, they say they could have sold like how museums do that they sell their collections they make huge amounts of money they sell off parts of their collections and they could have made tons of money by selling a chunk of their collection but they haven't so it's it's sort of this labor of love and it's but it's this dusty it's basically like the desert you know it's out in the steppes of southern russia you know middle of grasslands you know just nothing there's nothing out there and the artwork is falling up some of it's falling apart or you know it's all kind of they're doing their best to hold it together how do you get to uzbekistan do you go from the asian direction or you go from the european direction you'd go north first of all and then you'd go east oh you'd go over and then down yeah yeah 
There's not a direct flight from Chicago, yep. though, probably. Never know. To Uzbekistan, I'm sure. Yeah, there's probably several. Southwest, I think, goes to Uzbekistan now. I could probably <laughs> use some points to get there. About, like, 15 years... Well, it was probably 20 years ago now. I saw some great... At the film center in Chicago, they had a month of... It was all the stands. They had a film festival... Not festival, but a f- movies from the stands, basically. Uzbekistan, Kurdistan. And they were all amazing. They were, like, you know, from all different periods... Mostly from probably the '60s and '70s and '80s, they were modern movies. But I've, yeah, I wish I could see some of those again. There's, I saw probably five of them, and they're all. A lot of them were like, you know, historical dramas, like Genghis Khan kind of things. You know, like horsemen, big epic kind of like Lawrence of Arabia, but taking place with like Mongols and things. And <laughs> all right, I'll go through my three highlights here. I'll hit them fairly quickly. Train to Busan, a Korean zombie film best zombie film i've ever seen and the little girl in it out acts every actor in it rick did you get a chance to see train to busan i told you that my 12 year old and i and i watched saw part of like just even when the very beginning of the preview shows up on netflix like you know how it'll roll something automatically it's like both of us had nightmares (laughs) just so good for those 10 seconds that went by but yeah no i've heard it's very good so i I'll have to buck up and watch it. There's no gore, though, right? Um, There's a little bit, but <laughs> you'll be okay. The next <laughs> film is a film, I just rewatched it after reading the book. I'd never read the book before and then and then watched a film called Moneyball uh, featuring a guy by the name of Brad Pitt who has oh, yeah. who actually has something in common with uh, the lead in the film that we'll be discussing on our next episode. It was hilarious for one I forgot that it was like this comedy. Philip Seymour Hoffman's incredible in it. Forgot he was in it. Jonah Hill, I think his by far his best performance and Brad Pitt I love when he's playing like a Missouri good old boy cuz he he says in interviews that when he plays like was once upon a time in Hollywood and forget the Nazi Tarantino film. But when he plays that character he says he's just pretending to be his uncle's buddies and i love pitt when he plays those guys it reminds me of the guys i went to school with and it was just hilarious and then the last thing is an episode of the crown i wanted to call out it's in the crown season four and it's the break-in episode with mr fagan a guy named mr fagan actually broke into buckingham palace twice and at one time sat down with the queen and had an extended conversation with her this actually happened it would blew my mind yeah I vaguely remember the stories about that, yeah. It's presented in contrast to all the stuff that Thatcher is doing to put people out of jobs. It's then also soundtracked by progressive British rock. So The Cure, Joy Division, English Beat, pretty fascinating. And this is my note here. The crux of the episode was Thatcher's bullshit policies and her contention with the Queen. So it kind of paints the Queen in a, a really positive light, or at least a tolerant Light whereas Thatcher seems to be the cause of the pain of, of England. It's it's pretty fascinating the way they couch the whole thing. Season four episode. I just don't want to accidentally watch an episode that'll just make me angry look, and break my TV. Look for the Mr. Fagan episode. That's okay. The, I think it was called. You're going to trick me into watching The Crown. It's going to be terrible. Terry, I don't think Terry Gross has told me to watch it yet. <laughs> she will. She probably has. I just she missed will. that episode. I'm sure Terry yeah. said something. You must have missed it. You were probably drinking uh, expensive coffee <laughs> at the time, and you just missed it. <laughs> in a, <laughs> having coffee in a coffee house with my Tesla parked outside. 
tapping on my laptop, buying cryptocurrency. <laughs> I hate myself. <laughs> no, come on. Rick, what's our next film? Oh, our next film is They Might Be Giants, not the band. As even my children said, like somehow they know They Might Be Giants. Film starring George C. Scott and Joanne Woodward. A film I really like, oddly similar to What's Up, Doc, so obviously I've got some kind of... <laughs> affection for these types of weird G-rated romantic comedies with strange people in them. <laughs> well, we'll get into whether or not Jim and I liked it when we get into our episodes. We'll save our opinions. I will say our high school, the high school that the three of us went to, is I think particularly unique for the amount of original music that came out of that high school. So Rick and Jim were in a two bands that toured globally, put out records on major labels. We have a guitarist from my class who's now the guitarist on American Idol and the guitarist for the B-52s. We have Mark Henning who went to school with us, who is in Zoom and National Trust, both pretty well-known bands. And then we had a lot of bands, like I, when I ask people about the bands they had in their high schools, they talk about maybe having one or two cover bands in their high school, whereas we had the Crafty Lovelords, which were like a Descendants kind of band. We had Drippy Bog, which was kind of like a mix-up of, uh, I don't know, the Meat Puppets and the Minutemen maybe. And the band that I was in in high school was the They Might Be Giants band it's two you know we i was in the two band two man creative band like great book 69 or ween or they might be giants and by the way i hate all those bands i really dislike <laughs> all the two man bands but i i did you know as i continue to think about our high school and just the weird eclectic types of original bands that we had any any theories as we close as to why we had such a robust musical scene in our high school i don't know it's true, though. It was a big high school. That's part of it. <laughs> Thousands of students. There was, it was kind of supportive, too. Like the local, there were places to play, the back room, you know. The corral. We the corral. Yeah, the, the corral. There were like, they let bands, kids play in bands, you know, and there were shows. They'd put on shows. That's part of it, maybe. That was always my theory, is that the corral gave you a motivation to start a band. A place to play, Yeah. Yeah. That didn't, yeah. Well, so if you play originals, you have to have a place to play that's not, doesn't have any economic model, right? So the corral was just a place that you could play, right? It wasn't for profit, so there's no reason to play covers, and it allowed people to play original music, right? So what yeah. you're saying, Rick, is that socialism is great for art. <laughs> for art, <laughs> exactly. It is. Freaking is. Lost and Found and Rewound is fully funded by Lost and Found and Rewound Foundation Funds. Lost and Found and Rewound does not use crowdfunding because our listeners have better things to do with their funding. There's no need to post reviews of Lost and Found and Rewound because our listeners have more valuable things to do with their time. In all sincerity, thank you for listening to the show. We truly appreciate it. Lotus Pod.